0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: We just came back from the Keys, right? We've now done three events out of Big Coppet, just just above uh, Key West there in stock. And um, uh, our event last May uh, brought in... 822 derelict and abandoned traps during the closed season not supposed to be out there of course so anything that remains in the fishery fwc deems to be derelict or abandoned just one of those traps had 26 adult spiny lobster inside of it i mean that's big numbers right for a single trap 26 lobster um and then you consider we had 821 other traps that came up that day so Um, When you consider that we're seeing thousands of specimens of uh, commercially viable spiny lobsters, stone crabs, blue crabs. Uh, The event that we just got back from in Key West uh, two weeks ago, we did it at the end of July right before mini season started. Um, We had the biggest uh, haul in a single trap was 18 uh, adult sized spiny lobsters, right?
2: This is the Tom Roland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it, And subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRolandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done both the how-to Tuesdays, the full links, and the physical Fridays, they all live on tomrolandpodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now, let's get on to today's show.
1: This is Captain Neil Holland, president of Ocean Aid 360 with the Tom Roland Podcast.
2: Neil, what's up, man? How are you?
1: Hey, Tom. Good morning. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, um, calling in, calling from the uh, Oceanaid Three Hundred and Sixty Houseboat Office here on the Saint Petersburg waterfront.
2: It's nice. I can see it moving a little bit in the background. You said that the sea tow boats were leaving. Is that what's going on? <laughs> that's right. I think the seas are going to calm here in a bit. But yeah, they
1: got us rocking for the moment.
2: And that's cool. So what? What? Yep. Tell me about that boat that you're on.
1: So it's, uh, it's a project that I wanted to do for many years. Uh, I was looking for a trailerable houseboat to do my little Everglades mothership mothership stuff and up into the, some of the panhandle river systems and all of that. Um, and I found a 1979 Yukon Delta tri-hull, uh, under most circumstances, a pretty darn stable fiberglass hull. Yeah. Um, and built a cabin on it. And, uh, And it's been great so far. I just love it. It's got a nice breakfast bar, workstation, kitchenette, uh, a big oversized kind of custom made futon style couch and bed. mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Mercury 135. We have, we've had this little 26 footer up to 30 miles an hour.
2: That's awesome. So 26 feet. And uh, what kind of, uh, what kind of fuel and water and things can you carry?
1: Uh, we can do 40 gallons of water, 40 gallons of fuel and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's been fantastic for everything we're trying to do.
2: Right on. So you can stay out there. Do you have solar batteries and stuff?
1: No, no solar at this point. We may go to that at some point, but right now we're doing the generator setup.
2: Okay. All right. So how long have you, uh, have you gone out without having to come back?
1: Uh, uh, so far like four days. Yeah.
2: That's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. And then if you could, you know, pull your skiff or something behind that, that'd be, that That was the vision. Yeah, man, You got it, man.
1: You got it. I don't know if I'm ready to take it to the Marquesas, but
2: yeah. Uh, The Marquesas is a pretty easy trip. Honestly, a lot of the places that you're going right now, probably, probably more difficult, but um, what about, uh, what about the draft? What, what kind of draft do you get in that houseboat? 14 inches really not bad at all man so you could go anywhere i mean that that really is anywhere i always wanted one like that and uh uh, you know for my family and and we rented a couple and and i've seen some people sell them and i just thought man that'd be that's just the ultimate you know to be able to go (laughs) anywhere it's like well like
1: i mentioned i have it moored down here on the saint petersburg waterfront and uh i sit behind a uh uh, tinted glass here when I'm working on the laptop or whatever.
2: And, uh, all day long people
1: come by and say, look at this houseboat, look at that thing. We got to get one of those, you know, so it makes me feel good about having it. Certainly, yeah.
2: And simple is yeah. simple is best. Like you don't really need that much, but, but the draft yeah. is huge, you know, like if you can go in shallow water and then if you can stay out there for, you know, three, four, seven days, and then it's, yeah. you got enough horsepower to tow a Little boat behind you, a skiff or or a bay boat or something behind you, and it, man, that's that's the, right. That's the setup. Yeah. That's really nice.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be working with Chris Peterson and our buddies over at Hell's Bay to come up with a little bitty skiff to put behind this thing at some point. Nice. They've got the Eldora model to be perfect for this.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's so. great, man. So yeah. tell me a little bit about Ocean Three Sixty. Sure.
1: Yeah. OceanAid 360. We started it up in uh, 2017. It's a nonprofit based here out of Tampa Bay. Um, And our focus is on finding and retrieving derelict and abandoned traps and and fishing gear, ghost gear. Right. Um, So we started our programming in 2018 through a, a pilot grant that we got from NOAA's marine debris program. It uh, lasted us 12 months and allowed us to do seven events around the perimeter of Tampa Bay with different communities, about well, an event every month or month and a half. Um, and what we did was we launched a sort of inshore tournament fishing model, right? Like we're also familiar with for the Redfish tourneys and everything, uh, called the Ghost Trap Rodeo Tournament Event Series. And we're, typically working through a volunteer model. Nobody's uh, compensated from among the the participants that turn out, Uh, but they bring their vessels, they bring their family or their fishing buddies, um, and they go out for a four hour search for derelict traps and other forms of marine debris during closed seasons. And they bring it in and we do a leaderboard experience and we provide uh, industry donated prizes uh, to top collectors. So, Through that first year of programming that NOAA afforded us, we blew through our targets for collection. We collected almost 30,000 pounds of blue crab traps, stone crab traps, and other forms of plastics and non-biodegradable items jammed up in our mangroves and everything. Um, And it kind of set us on our path. So today, we're working really closely with FWC and with NOAA and with the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation um, and they kind of collaborate with us and provide us with support, so that we can travel around the state to hotspots selected by FWC and provide this uh, kind of cleanup service, but with a fun community angle,
2: right? Yeah, that's really cool. So the the derelict traps. What what was it that you that that drew you to to that as you know as your mission as opposed to just picking up debris or or. I mean, I know that, I know that, no. you know, the, the ghost traps keep catching and maybe you can, you can go into, you know, how damaging they are. Uh, I'm sure you have lots of stats on that. I mean, that's, nope. but I'm interested in why you, you kind of moved in sure. that direction. Is that, was that the, where you thought you could move the needle the most or what? That's a great question.
1: I th- I think we were cognizant of the fact that there were other groups out, kind of focusing on uh, general floatsome, you know, styrofoams and plastic bottles and that kind of thing. Um, and in the course of running my fishing charter company here out of Saint Petersburg. Um, I noticed plenty of ghost traps on our grass beds and everything. And, uh, I guess if I was looking for the Genesis, it could be the fact that I had to jump in and 10 feet of water in the middle of tarpon season off of safety beach to cut a stone crab trap out of my propeller with all my customers on board and the tarpon school, you know, running down the beach Hmm. and, uh, and you know, it's a ghost trap. There were no, no other traps in the area or anything like that. So, um, I think as I travel around the state and talk to other anglers, everybody has an experience or two like that. So beyond that, I think once we started myself and my team at OceanAid360, once we really started to educate ourselves a little bit on the ghost fishing angle um, and the impact that, you know, lost and abandoned gear can have on our shared resource. Um you know, we started to say like, okay, well, this is this is something that we could focus on. Let's let's see what we can do about it. Mm-hmm. So, our first couple of uh, uh, pro or events, let's say, um, really came off with flying colors, and there was more gear out there there than we expected. I think our first couple of events, we showed up saying, you think anybody will find one today? You know, (laughs) and you know, when it was all said and done, we're, you know, having to call in the city to bring special, you know, dump trailers and everything to help us get it all out of there. So now after four years of doing this kind of programming, we're, we're pretty, um, well set up and, uh, and have seen a lot seen a lot.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about the ghost trap, how damaging, uh, a trap that's just out there besides, you know, getting in your propeller and stuff like that. What else do they do? That's that's bad for the environment.
1: I mean, honestly, I think that the best anecdote for it is that, um, we just came back from the keys, right? We've now done three events out of big coppit yes. just, just above, uh, Key West there in stock. And, um, uh, our event last May, uh, brought in, 822 derelict and abandoned traps during the closed season. Not supposed to be out there, of course. So anything that remains in the fishery, FWC, deems to be derelict or abandoned. Just one of those traps had 26 adult spiny lobster inside of it. I mean, that's big numbers, right? For a single trap, 26 lobster. Um, and then you consider we had 821 other traps that came up that day. So um, when you consider that we're seeing thousands of specimens of uh, commercially viable spiny lobsters, stone crabs, blue crabs, uh, the event that we just got back from in Key West uh, two weeks ago, we did it at the end of July, right before many seasons started Um, we had the biggest uh, haul in a single trap was 18 uh, adult sized spiny lobsters, right? But in addition to that, we're we're getting muttons in the traps, hogfish in the traps, all kinds of stuff. Um, So, you know, I I always explain it to folks as kind of like an economic uh, uh, element, right? It's out there these traps and this gear, it's out there fishing when we're all asleep and Depleting our resources unnecessarily, um, and the nice thing about it is that in the keys, we've actually all of our participation in the keys, for the most part, is from commercial uh, uh, stone crabbers and lobstermen. Hmm. So, I mean, we're getting commercial participation, and everybody knows whether it's—I mean, the commercial guys know as well as anybody—but um, all user groups know at this point that it's problematic. We want it out of there. We want more resource um, in the fishery for all of us to share. Um, and we certainly don't want to die in an unchecked box.
2: Mm-hmm. So when the commercial guys help out um, and they pull up some of these traps, some of the traps are perfectly good. The, the buoys have just gotten chopped off of them or, or, or yep. they got moved and the, then the fishermen couldn't find them anymore. So do they get to keep those traps and and use them or what happens That's to all a- the traps?
1: that's uh, a fantastic question it's one it's a question that we only get from folks who are really in the know about it about the fishery and such The challenge with the reuse of uh, stone crab traps or lobster traps for example is that the legislation as it stands right now does not allow uh, permitted retrieval groups like OceanAid 360 is to Gift or resell or anything like that—a a trap, uh, unless it's going to its original owner. Mm. Uh, for example, so some of them so the have, guys,
2: well, some of them have like ahead. a tag on the. Uh, I mean, a lot of people put the. But I mean, tell me how it works because I'm not a commercial uh, yeah. fisherman, but I, I, I'm familiar with it. But you know, the buoys yep. will have something branded in them. You know, some sort of yep. a marker on them, and then sometimes the traps will have. A tag on them as well, but not, I don't know, is it always, do the the traps always have the owner's name on them? Not
1: always. No, no, they don't.
2: That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment.
1: Um, And as it stands right now. Just to kind of clarify my response to that, that right now, FWC and our permit that we hold mandates that all the gear that comes in with us needs to be um, taken to landfill, basically, mm-hmm. unless it's uh, wire mesh blue crab traps, which that gets reutilized um, through municipalities that we partner with who mm-hmm. use it for living shoreline projects. Oh, they actually okay. dip the wire mesh traps in concrete, stake them out in, in areas of shallows, kind of a pyramid formation, mm-hmm. and use it to recruit larval oysters and clams, oh. start new po- pilot oyster reefs uh, for water filtration and to prevent uh, shoreline erosion.
2: That's interesting. So. Um, yeah. Like when I first heard about this, uh, that you were that you were getting these these traps, I was just interested. I figured that you had to have a permit, because yeah. I mean, first of all, it's a great thing that you're doing. Their traps are all over the place, and and yep. you know everybody's got just like you say stories of getting the lines caught in the in the in the trap lines and and. Just all kinds of nightmarish things. But when that trap just sits there on the seagrass, I'm sure it's killing the seagrass over time. And then yep. the, the real thing about that deal is if you have those 16 or 18 lobsters in there and one of them dies because they are not they don't have any food in there, I guess they get in right. and then they, there's no food. They go in because right. of safety. Then there's no food in there. And then they die. Well, they become the bait. Right. And so that's if you exactly a right. Fish in there, like a small, smaller fish that can go in there and starts eating on those. Well, those end up yep. not being able to get out as well. They die and it just continues to catch and 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 it never stops.
1: Right. That's like, right. Yeah. yeah.
2: So. Yeah, exactly.
1: And based on the materials composition of the different trap types that we use around the state, um, the degradation process and the time horizon for them when they're actively fishing out there, even though they're lost to their angler, is different. Stone yeah. crab traps, of course, because of their construction, they are probably out there fishing the, the very longest. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah. You know, it's interesting with with traps. Like you, you would think that if you're if you're not around them much or you're not familiar with them. And you see, you know, the, the fisherman comes out there, they pick up the traps, they get their, their haul, they rebate the traps, they put them in the back in the water and that's where they're going to catch the best, right. With, Mm -hmm. and a lot of times they, they, they spray them off and get all the, you know, certain things like a brand new trap, other things like it to be a little bit weathered, but like the stone crabbers, like that's one of the things they come up, they clean everything off because a brand new trap will catch better than anything else right? And so they, they go in out there and this is just kind of not, not for you, but some of the audience people are just kind of understanding what's going on here. Um, Those traps will go out there and if they're brand new, they're catching the best. And if they're baited, they're obviously catching the best, but that doesn't mean that if there's not bait in them, that they won't continually catch. They might not catch as well as when they're fully baited with, with fresh bait or anything like that, but they will keep catching. And that is very, very damaging, especially if the buoy gets knocked off. And then we have storms, like all kinds of storms, minor storms, thunderstorms where you could get a 40 mile an hour wind gust in, in some of these thunderstorms that are not named there. It's not a hurricane. It's not a tropical storm. It's just a thunderstorm. And for whatever reason, the, the rope gets broken boats run over the the ropes it's not all these fishermen's fault like you know some people uh, are well, like well you know these these careless fishermen are just leaving their stuff out there they don't want to leave their stuff out there right that trap costs money and at time yep. and you look and what what you know they got to rig the whole thing the traps there that that's not something that they want to lose right so it's not like just these careless redneck fishermen that are out there just leaving their stuff everywhere like it's certainly not yeah no
1: so- I, I wouldn't change a darn thing about your explanation there that that's the perfect way to describe it and the the guys that we have worked with in key west just like folks that we've worked with all over the state i mean the folks who come out to participate in a ghost trap rodeo with us at ocean aid 360 they're conscientious mm-hmm. they care about the fishery Um, and everybody knows that there's a real value to that gear. So, um, we're working on, uh, kind of starting some negotiation with FWC to see if it might ever be possible to implement a buyback program for, Mm. for commercial guys who come out and participate with us, collect traps, and then would like to repurchase at the end of the day for a reduced rate. This is something they've asked us to, to do whatever we can about, um, because they know the value. And so do we. So um, we're kind of working on it right now. That
2: seems like a really good idea. Um, And then that that recruits, you know, the commercial. uh, It would be great if, you know, in your explanation, you were saying people that participated in the cleanup. um, So now you're encouraging participation and then maybe you get a trap at a third the cost of of you know it's not a brand new trap it's a it's an older trap and it's probably been in the water for a long time but some of them can be cleaned up and used again and uh, you can buy those cheap or that's you know, right or or even somebody like most uh most people understand that the, that as a private citizen you can also put out uh stone crab traps right so you mm-hmm. can have yep. like what six six per five person, traps five i traps think it is person. per person so mm-hmm. that would be another way that that these things are getting lost and it's very easy to lose yeah. one. Right.
0: Like it sure really is. is. Yeah.
2: Now have you, yep. have you, um, had, had one of your events like post hurricane, what's the closest to a hurricane that you've, that you've had an event? Cause that seems like, um, <laughs> that seems like it's going to be a, a gangbuster, uh, bonanza yeah. of getting traps.
1: No, it's a great question. I think that most of the debris that we've seen in the Keys from Big Coppet to Big Pine, for example, has been uh, kind of residual or legacy Irma Irma losses, you know, Um, we're definitely seeing some of that in addition to the non-trap debris that's jammed up in the mangroves and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know we've all seen it. Yeah. Uh, This event that we just came back from two weeks ago, uh, we had a eight foot long aluminum fuel tank come in that was resting on the grass beds. Last one we did last May, we found somebody's dishwasher jammed up in the mangroves. I mean, just you know um it really speaks to the harrowing time that residents went through down there yeah um but we're glad to have a a role in helping to clean it up and get it back to its natural state
2: so in the in the events that you have are people getting credit for the trap are they also getting credit for the lines and the buoys and everything else because a lot of times you don't see the trap and and just the the line is up in the mangroves you know in the buoys and stuff
1: yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, if I understand correctly, you're asking about how we kind of comprise the leaderboard, yeah, and that sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, with traps being our our focus area, our kind of our, our priority type of debris, we award a you know high number of points for each trap that a team brings in. Um, And then we weigh the, uh, all of it gets weighed actually, but, um, non-trap debris, we weigh it and we come up with a, with a points valuation per 50 pounds or whatever it might be. Right. So whether it's, uh, whether we're doing an event with volunteer folks that are, you know, weekend warrior types or, um, or recreational anglers, um, or we're working with commercial, uh, men and women around the state. Uh, we kind of employ that tournament model and we make, we try to make it fun for them, you know, mm-hmm. provide a nice catered lunch for free. And the event participation is free. Um, and it, whenever we part ways at the end of the half day together, the camaraderie is really strong and people's, uh, sense of stewardship is mm-hmm. kind of like reinforced, you know, um, and I think that it's impossible to stand back and look at the, 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 you know, 20 foot long trailer that is just, you know, completely crowded with debris and traps and all kinds of other stuff, um, and not feel, um, like you've had a real impact for the day. And it's something that is important to continue in your, in your fishing practice. And as you move forward,
2: sure. You know, you know, a lot of people probably have wanted to pick up traps in the past where you see them out there, but you know, you're, uh, you know, if you're not a commercial fisherman and you're just a flats guide, you don't necessarily know the rules about touching somebody else's fishing gear. And it's, you know, it's frowned upon to, to touch anybody else's gear. So that's where I wanted to, to ask you, like, if somebody wanted to, to do something like this, is it best just to go to one of your events and take part in the event? Or is it kind of um, off season If you see a trap, it's fair game, like to to coach people through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's a great question and something I'm glad to have the chance to speak about. So in order to uh, tamper with with traps that you find, whether they're buoyed traps or not, um, whether you, you would look at it and say, well, that's clearly derelict and it's been abandoned or not. You are not allowed to touch that gear without a permit. Um, if you're operating under an organization and have a permit in place, then by all means, that's the time to do it. But otherwise, should not be done. Uh, you can report it to your local FWC office. You can report it to us if you'd like at oceanaid360.org. Um, but the thing I want to mention here is that FWC is actually looking for groups, community groups, homeowners associations, auto bond societies, uh, Suncoast Fly Fishers Club, what, you know, whatever it might be, um, to become informed about this issue, uh, apply for a permit from FWC, receive a little bit of training and conduct their own retrieval events. Uh, in their community during the closed fishing season. Uh, so any gear that's left out when the season's closed, like I said, it's deemed derelict and abandoned should be removed, but has to be with a permit. And FWC is really looking for some additional support around this
2: issue. And we welcome that. Who would who would they contact if somebody was interested in doing something like that?
1: Yeah. So FWC, if you go to the Blue Crab page, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's as simple as Googling FWC Blue Crab. At the bottom of the page, uh, there is a a section dedicated to trap retrieval programming that explains kind of the permit process and the templated form that needs to be filled out and the program coordinator uh, up in Tallahassee, um, how to go about the process. So it's important. Oh, sorry.
2: That that would be that would also uh, incorporate stone crab and lobster traps too, off of that blue blue crab trap.
1: Yeah, it does exactly. Yeah, obviously because the the fish the state uh, coastal fisheries kind of managed in different quadrants or management zones, right? Um, You know, your stone crab trap fishery is going to close statewide. Your your lobster fishery is going to close, but the blue crab trap fishery. It's really kind of strange and it was only implemented about a decade ago, I believe. And it rolls around the state through the different management areas. So it's not closed statewide at the same time. Let's say Hmm. the the Northeast, um, would be closed. Uh, it's just a 10 day period during, I believe on their side, it's even numbered years. So it's the same 10 day stretch each year. It's in January. Um, but it kind of shows up in their area just every other year for 10 days. And it won't come back until, uh, until the next even numbered year. Mm. So I know that's a bit confusing, but what I mean to say is that the blue crab trap fishery, uh, closure just kind of rolls around the state, um, at very clearly defined times on the FWC website. And those 10 day periods are a, are an opportunity for community groups, or fishing groups to get out and remove lost and abandoned gear.
2: Gotcha. Um, yep. what, do you, what do you know about the blue crab fishery outside of the state of, of, uh, of Florida? Cause I heard the craziest thing and and What'd I want to know if it's, if it's true. Well, first of all, do you know anything about the blue crabs? Like the, like in the Maryland blue, that's a right?
1: and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, sure. I mean, that's what
2: you hear like the Maryland yeah. blue crabs and that, that you have this, you know, this incredible crab cake that comes from Maryland. Right, yeah, it's, supposed to be, yeah. it's supposed to be made from a Maryland blue crab. Well, yeah. Somebody was telling me, and I don't know if this is true or not, or but it, it sounded true. And okay. that if, if they're having a hard season up there, they're not catching a lot of crabs. That yeah. Crabs could be caught somewhere else. And then they could go and sit in that water, like in a trap or whatever, yep. for a certain period of time maybe days or weeks or I don't know. Nope. And then they were a Maryland crab, Maryland crab. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Is that, is that, is <laughs> that, is really that a, a conspiracy theory or like, what is that? I don't no, know.
1: I You know, the, the extent of my knowledge on the Chesapeake blue crab situation is that they had a really tough uh, fishing season, uh, a series of mm-hmm. fishing yeah. seasons over the last few years. But as far as being able to soak them for 10 days and call them Maryland blue crabs, I don't know. About I don't
2: that know bit. about the 10 days. It could be a, it was a, it was a period of time, what, yeah, it, it, yeah. which was what I was told. And so it's yep. like, I guess, you know, you do all this marketing for the Maryland blue crab and right. if you have a tough season, which everybody has a tough season, you know, weather, it's, of you're course. dealing with weather. Yeah. It's like being a farmer. And yep. if you have a tough season, then you'd have to change all your marketing to, well, these are Florida. Crab, you know, crab cakes. Yeah, they're almost sure. as good as Maryland crab cakes, but they're right, right. Maybe even they're better. But then you're shooting yourself yeah. in the foot. Like now, Florida. Now, now we're just setting yep. up this whole industry in Florida. We just, we just gave it to them, right? right. Like, I know, so, I don't right. know. Somebody was just telling How me funny. that 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 if you, I don't know, that there was a strategy that you could take them up there, you could soak them, yep. and then they would be called Maryland crab tra- Maryland blue crabs. And so then that got me thinking. Well, I wonder what kind of crazy laws there are about going across state lines with live, live crabs and yeah. you're putting them in the water. Like, it seems like there's all kinds of rules and regulations yep. that you would have to abide by, or you could possibly be, um, totally in, in Hunted violation by the of, USDA. you know, like, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like <laughs> yeah. a crazy, crazy time. We're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment. Um so it really is. Let me ask you this, man. I was doing this research on on you and Ocean OceanAid 360, and um man, there's a there's a story on your website about how you got started. And it's it's okay. crazy. I want to hear this story about how you got started in doing this because it's a really I mean it's the way it's written on your website is a really interesting story. About what do you, Tony, what do, you, L. what do you have in mind? This guy, Tony oh. L., he doesn't even know he was a catalyst, right? I'm looking oh, at it right here. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. tell me about how, how so you funny, got started man. because there, you got this whole Ocean 8 360. You're a fishing guide, but yep. it seems like you weren't always yep. a fishing guide. So, what, oh, how did this goodness. whole thing happen?
1: Well, and the funny thing is that's not even our, our native website, Oceanaid360.org. That was a profile that somebody oh, wrote. Oh, it was on this Catalyst. Business that, that's what That's yeah, what I'm reading that. Exactly. I, I, I looked it up catalyst. because
2: I did look on yeah. your website, the Oceanaid360, which is a very, nice, yep. it was a very nice website. But I found some other information and, and I started reading <laughs> this and I was like, man, I'm going to ask him about this because oh my this gosh. led you Let's... This led you to the UN. And yeah. like, tell me about yeah. this. This is a it's crazy true. story. Yeah, man so let me see if i can tell
1: it uh the mildly abbreviated version but grew up <laughs> we here have plenty of time st- <laughs> that's true that's true yeah man so i grew up here in saint petersburg uh, uh you know a, a beach rat and a you know uh crawling onto residential docks that we should not have been on so we <laughs> could fish their snook light and all that kind of stuff and, and then transitioned into the flat back canoe fishing, all of our mangrove preserves and all of that. Um, and the next logical step for me at that time, based on my other joy, which was writing about my fishing experiences, I ended up, I I enjoyed putting pen to paper and that kind of thing. And, uh, I got a kick out of reading all the fishing reports in the St. Petersburg times newspaper, which was a really heralded newspaper at that time. Um, I, uh, was introduced to Terry Tomlin, who was our, our sports outdoors editor here, um, who had a great reputation in the business and, and was really, um, well liked around, uh, the Tampa Bay area, uh, chatted with him about my, my passions. And he said, all right, kid, come on in, I, you know, well, let's see what we can work out. So, uh, he let me write some of the columns, uh, the captain's corner column in the St. Petersburg times and kind of got me started um, on the publishing some of my stuff, right? So over the course of time, as I graduated graduated out of high school and was still fishing like a maniac, uh, he encouraged me to see if I could get into the Columbia University writing program up in New York. Uh, So I applied, was accepted, uh, lo and behold. And uh, during that time, I I spent all of my off hours working at the two premier uh, fishing tackle shops in New York City, which was uh, Urban Angler, which is a fly shop right on Fifth Avenue, Mm -hmm. um, owned by the Fisher family for many years and and world renowned spot where all the uh, dignitaries and rock stars from all over the world pass through and buy their gear when they're in town.
2: I've been there, yeah. Yeah, When I went to New York, I made a special, uh, a special uh, stop by there because I was getting there. They they used to send out a really nice catalog. They had a really nice. They sure did catalog and yeah. i felt like i knew these people because i'd been getting their catalog so much and so i just yep. dropped by and and uh and said hi to them and and it was a beautiful store you know and i also it, I was getting yeah. a lot of customers from them that were for huh. some reason i don't know i got on there they were sending me a lot of customers and so I, it was a nice yeah. time to just stop by and say thank you and 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 talk to them uh but yeah yeah so that that shop That's and then cool. there was another shop right
1: yeah, I worked at Capital Fishing Tackle, which was dedicated. It had not a fly fishing uh, line or fly rod or fly in sight. It was dedicated to conventional gear and the party boat tours out of Sheephead Bay, Brooklyn, and um, uh, you know, kind of the late night blue fish and striper trips and all of that kind of thing. So I got a chance to experience their fishery, um, kind of in a wide range of experiences, right. Everything from the Montauk stuff to fishing right behind, uh, in Jamaica Bay, right behind JFK airport, wow. where you're casting the striped bass up in the marsh, you mm-hmm. know, really cool fishery. Um, but, uh, graduated, graduated out of college, uh, in 2008, and right into the economic recession that was going on at the time and uh, really struggled to find a a more career oriented job. And lo and behold, one of my regular customers, his name's Tony Luscombe. He had worked for the USDA for many, many years. uh, And his wife worked at the United Nations and the uh, Peruvian delegates office, I think it was. And he said, hey, He said, I, I know, you. I can vouch for you. Um, and he said, I know you're looking for writing work. He said, I have a, um, a contact that works for a federal contractor. They do humanitarian work and they're looking for some grant writing support. Do you think you could write a grant? And I said, I'll write anything that they'll pay for. I'm (laughs) glad to do it, you know? And so I applied, I, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I applied was, um, was hired, offered the job. And uh, it turns out that my boss for the next seven years in that role was a fellow who gradu- who had uh, retired from the State Department as a diplomat and foreign service officer for the U.S. government for 25, 30 years. Uh, he taught me the ropes and taught me how to, uh, you know, engage in some in some diplomacy and, and do grants administration work and conduct business with the federal government. So. Um, It took me all over the planet, literally from East Timor, uh, you know, near Indonesia and and the north of Australia, where I was working on food, food aid programming and agriculture, but had the opportunity to get away for a day and go catch wahoo and yellowfin tuna, Uh you know, on a hand line out of a dugout canoe. Um, all the way to Sri Lanka and all over the place, man, been all over the place doing that type of work. So it taught me how to, uh, how to, it taught me the ropes on how to design programming. And it's a skill that I was able to utilize as we kind of set it toward our passion of protecting our watersheds here in Florida. When I returned in 2016. Wow. Um,
2: yeah, that's crazy. That is such a crazy turn of events. Like it's like the door closes in 2008 to to anything that yeah. you, you think of and but it's not really a closing yeah. it's an opportunity and and you, totally. you get this incredible opportunity it takes you all around the world now yeah. why would you like your? is it was it just too much travel or what was it that you uh wanted to kind of change and come back to your your roots a little bit like why would you that sounds pretty cool yeah. like what you were doing
1: well, I, uh, after, you know, by 2015, 16, I, uh, logged like right at 11 years in New York and I really missed my home waters. I was, I've missed my family, uh, everybody here's in the St. Petersburg area, um, and I'd met a girl, mm, and uh, there it is. And we were, yeah, 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 of course, of course. It's every fishing guy moves to New York story that ever happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so and we were both kind of like ready to make our break, you know. And uh, luckily, at that time, I'd I'd established myself enough in my career work. Um, doing the Federal Grants Administration that my director, um, he, he told me, hey, look, take the laptop you know, go do your thing. Don't let the work suffer or whatever. And he said, you know me, I'm old school. So this is not going to last forever, but while we're kind of transitioning the portfolio to junior staffers and training them up, let's have you go ahead and stay on board. So I came to Florida, consulted for another, uh, year and a half or almost two years doing that kind of work. And then, uh, launched my own uh entity doing international consulting work and also launched ocean aid three sixty at the same time 2017. Wow.
2: And so, so all of this background work and the writing uh of grants mm-hmm. and the learning how to uh, do business with the government and government agencies mm-hmm. and stuff that did that really um how did that help you with ocean aid three sixty
1: well it's it's so funny I was talking to another um Uh, executive director of the coastal impact fund, right? Which is a, it's kind of a fund based here out of Tampa Bay where they're providing support for projects that are doing uh, innovative and new things in the marine debris or just kind of coastal uh, habitat restoration space. Right. And, and uh, we were having dinner just two nights ago and he said, I have to admit, man, when in 2017, 18, when you guys wrote your very first proposal and won your very, very first grant award, a lot of us were, were looking, you know, standing back with arms folded and saying, now, who the hell is this? You know, like they'd never heard of us. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it had no context for, for how we were, how we worked or anything like that. But luckily Um, we had a real solid design and we proved ourselves and we formed a lot of really great partnerships in that first year. That's still with us partners that are still with us today and, um, and allow us to do what we do and do it well.
2: Mm -hmm. And those partners are like outside the industry or industry partners or what?
1: Well, uh, it's a lot of different things. So, um, when we very first started, we, um, collaborated with coastal conservation association. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah and with the Clearwater Marine Aquarium here uh, in West Central Florida and, uh, and Coastal Impact Fund, as I mentioned, and the kind of preeminent watershed organization in our area, which is Tampa Bay Watch. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So collaborating with them, they kind of helped to give us some credence to the work that we were trying to do. And honestly, I mean, even though I kind of, laugh as like you know they they folded their arms and said now who the hell is this that that might have been for a 15 minute period or something like that around the water cooler but in truth they really welcomed us with open arms um, and wanted the CSB successful and and collaborate and try to try to inform residents in our region about this issue that was transpiring with ghost fishing and ghost gear um, and how we needed more support uh hands and and people out there on event days to clean it up. So right. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't change a
2: thing about it. That's super cool. So what's the uh what's the vision for the future of Oceanaid 360?
1: Well, um we are we have an event coming up on August 13th at Titusville focused on the northern stretch of the Indian River Lagoon. Um we have recently welcomed a new partner in Hells Bay Boatworks. <laughs> Um, they're passionate about what we're doing. They understand the value behind it. Uh, and they're bringing out their build team to, with three of their boats to come out and participate in our event and helping us promote on social media to get boots on the ground. Glad to report that that event has about 115 teams registered really? already. Really? Yeah, between between boating teams uh, paddling teams. So kayakers or canoers and then, uh, shoreline walkers, but we've got about 40 boats registered, which is a damn good field for a Marine debris collection. Yeah. event. No, that's huge. <laughs> you know? Like,
2: so, so it let's, is let's talk about that for just a second. Like what, when you're, when you're thinking, okay, well, we're going to go to a new area. I don't know. Have you done one in Titusville mm-hmm. before? Or, or no, we it's haven't. Like a, is so a it's new area. area. How do mm-hmm. you like, how, what's the marketing that you're doing to kind of explain this? I mean, certainly you're going to pick up yeah. pick up debris, but what does it look like? How do you how do you get that many people to buy into this? Like, the, is it the tournament yeah. format, or is it like fun, or are there big prizes, yeah. or like what what is it that? I- Great
1: question. I'd, I'd say it's the tournament format. I think that that's allowed us to be successful from from the very start, you know, creating that sense of excitement and fun and articulating that it's family friendly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that from the general public, we see a lot of response and great turnout like our work oftentimes is more toward um communicating with the commercial groups or like die hard fishing fishermen guides whatever it might be to explain that like this is not this is not your snowbirds and and uh tevas and big high black socks with a big floppy hat walking down the beach this is like we need you in your gauze built tower boat or your dorado or your you know lake and bay we need you in your in your maverick and Hell's bay or whatever it might be and we need you up there on the on the stick you know and we need you moving quietly and, and calmly through the shallows um, with your polarized glasses on and elevated up, so you can really see down into the water and utilizing your same sight fishing techniques, that you'd be sight fishing redfish or bonefish or permit, uh, but in this case looking for traps. You know, so I mean the the buoyed traps, of course, those are going to be easy to spot and. Um, that's kind of like a, you know, the first round of collections, right? That's what everybody grabs first. But then among the like more seasoned angling set, like that's where we start to get traps that were, that were lost with no trap or or no buoy or line or anything like that, that are kind of on a, on the edge of a grass bed or on a roll off or whatever it might be. So, um, having folks that are really intimately familiar with their fishery care about it, know how to move through it without doing damage to it in the shallows and grass beds and such. Um, it's really important.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of those guys, they already know where they are. They've yeah. They, they pull past that thing <laughs> all the time. Like God, yeah, get yeah. rid of that thing. You know? Exactly. But you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I I I don't know who would get rid of these things, but like after um after, you know, any of the hurricanes that we've had in the Keys or even big storms, there was one time that there was, there was like, it looked like you put 200 traps in a washing machine and mm. they just all mm. got spun up yep. together. And yep. the, the line, I mean, literally like 200, and it was sitting right out in yep. front of Hawks Cay, right at the headpins. And this was like, yep. I mean, a mass of, of Rope that was you couldn't put your arms around it and buoys everywhere yeah. and and it sat there for a long time and then one day it was just gone and uh interesting i don't know i mean it must have been fwc or or some, must somebody but yep. you know it just you know just yep. gone and you know you could see yep. all the traps down there too like it, sure it was just a big mess yeah and uh, and that was spun up by a by a hurricane, right? Like yeah. it was really really um, a lot. So I guess before or or when when someone when you have something like that, you report that to FWC and then. Somebody CETO or somebody, they're going to contract somebody to go out there and pick that up, I, I guess, before your group existed or before you're going to have these, these, yeah, these deals. Very
1: fortunately, we are not the only game in town. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Mm-hmm. There, there are a, a handful of groups that do this type of work. FWC does some light duty contracting to commercial guys on, on special interest cases like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's other work going on. Um, but obviously we, we all still see plenty of derelict gear in our fisheries.
2: You see it and you know where it is and it can get, it it can be problematic. So what, what, what's the, uh, what's the strategy to get somebody to, to, uh, to put all these, um, traps up on the, Deck of their one hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars elephant. <laughs> or,
1: now that's the question. <laughs> yeah.
2: like, I there's got to be some kind of prize or something that makes it worth no. it to. Uh, You're I, so right. What do they do? Put a tarp on. Yeah. Put a tarp on the boat and then, then kind of ease it up there. Or, or some people have tea, right. tea crafts or something like that that they that they yeah. want to fish out of. And before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. Be right back.
1: Exactly. We see a lot of tea crafts in the mix when we're doing the commercial um, participant events. Um, but in all the events we supply like a U-Haul style, um, moving blanket mm-hmm. and tarps mm-hmm. and gloves and all of that kind of thing to really try to ensure that no damage is done to gel coat. Um, but you're right. It's a, it's a consideration for sure. And I'm sure it's one of the things that keeps, uh, some of the, the folks who would be interested in coming out, they say, I don't dare do that. <laughs> that boat's sitting behind my house right now.
2: Yeah. But, I but, mean, you know, everybody's got some kind of, you know, uh, a work boat in their, in their neighborhood yeah, or on their canal yeah. or something that you got a you know, That's the right. Carolina skiff or the T craft or something that you could, you know, yeah. maybe you could use that for the the weekend. Yeah. Um,
1: and even if they don't feel like throwing a 35 pound or 40 pound stone crab trap or a 90 pound lobster trap in their lake and bay, um, you know, we're, we're looking for other types of debris as well. So, uh, we got a place for everybody.
2: So any kind of debris, like
1: yeah. During, during our events um, that are open to the public, let's say, we, we're doing traps and other forms of uh, non-biodegradable debris mm-hmm. that they can find over the course of the day. So that's going to be a lot of styrofoams, bottles. We've had pieces of floating docks come in. How much uh, you get for a flip-flop? I mean,
2: <laughs> How many points you get for a flip-flop? Because...
1: <laughs> Not very many, man, but a few, a few. It works you toward, toward your aggregate. And, and I then, know, then, right? get, a lot then put
2: some. I, I, you know, I just keep wondering when the day is that that the Crocs are going to outnumber the flip flops that I see on the That's on the so beach. So true. It'll happen yeah, one day. So true. Like, Damn those Crocs! They float so good. Like I agree, they'll float right <laughs> up on the beach. But it is crazy how many people <laughs> yep. lose just one flip flop in the ocean because Isn't it's it? just like the left flip flop. I don't know. (laughs) Always the left. Pretty much. I mean, that's what I noticed. It's pretty much always the left one. Oh my gosh. They're just all over the place.
1: somebody's out there making a lot of right turns i guess
2: i guess so anyway i guess so well i love what you're doing man it's really it's really great and uh it's something that people can really get their arms around because there are so many ways that you can you can help in conservation and you never see the you you never really see the effects you give money to something or or even even water quality it's like okay you know yeah it's not like this this very obvious visual component like what you have. I mean you're you're hoping that next year you don't have a bunch of dead fish on the on the beach like you did last yeah. year or you're hoping that you're 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 doing something to move the needle to so that this won't ever happen again. But with your thing there's this there's this immediate visual component of seeing a dumpster full of trash that was out there on, on the flats and in the, yep. in the places that we're talking about fishing, the water's perfectly clear and that stuff shows up. You can see it. And it's, and, yeah. it, and it's not great for the, for the, uh, the experience, you know, of, of yeah. just being yep. out there in, in a beautiful night, you know, place and, and there's just trash everywhere. And that's a right. A lot of it is fishing is, is abandoned fishing gear. Um, Yeah. So I I really like that. And it's something that people can really put their arms around and, and, you know, feel like they're, you're part of it. Like, like Carter Andrews, one piece a day thing is like, yes, that's that's awesome, man. Pick up a piece of trash a day. That's, that's fantastic. But then come participate in one of your things and pick up 35,000 pounds of trash. That's that's pretty sweet, man. That's pretty (laughs) sweet.
1: I mean, we take a lot of pride in the like action oriented nature of it. You know, I mean, in this day and age of instant gratification, you know, you're how many people are clicking on your Instagram feed or whatever it might be. Uh, I, this is, you know, in terms of habitat projects and watershed work, this is about as close as you can get uh, in the course of four hours. You're going to see more stuff than you can ever imagine. You're going to get a chance to see some, you know, you're opening traps and saying, Oh my God, look what's in here. You know, (laughs) I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. And you're turning it out throwing that box in the boat with you, you know, getting it out of the watershed. And, uh, at the end of the day, you could go home with a really beautiful fishing setup or a Yeti cooler or uh, a guided fishing trip or a hotel stay for two, whatever it might be, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a nice experience and, um, it's, Obviously, it's worth saying that what we do is just one essential part of the kind of um, full court press that needs to happen on Florida coastal fisheries and all of that sort of thing. I mean, Captains for Clean Water, they're doing wonderful work in the in the halls of power. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to trying to make sure that our policymakers and legislators are listening to, um, to our needs and the needs of our fishery. Um, so that's absolutely essential. We're not set up to do what they do and they're not quite set up to do what we do. So we really see it as a symbiotic sort of relationship with ourselves and other organizations um and habitat restoration.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So where yeah. do people um where do people go to to learn more and participate in one of your events or invite you to uh, I don't know, maybe somebody could invite your group or propose a location that, you know, no. is particularly bad. I don't know how, what that process would look like. you probably have to run it through FWC. Totally. But, um, what, yeah. where do people go?
1: Yeah, we've got a lot of information at Oceanaid. That's A I D 360.org. kind of gives a good uh, background on what we do. There's lots of video content there so folks could see what a day in the life looks like at the rodeo. Um, And, you know, as far as uh, coordinating with us on events, we're always open to hearing about debris hotspots that need some attention. Um, And there have been plenty of cases where where local business comes to us and say, hey, we want to fund one of your events. What Mm -hmm. would it cost to have you come to our area Put this on with us, make us a sponsor of the event, and we could collaborate together. And uh, that's something we're totally interested in, you know? So, um, but beyond that, uh, we're actually working with FWC right now on designing a full year of programming that will take us all the way through to the end of 2023 and see a lot of your listeners, um, engaging with us as we show up in their backyards to, to do these events all around the state over the next year. So, um, yeah, it looks like we're going to have a big robust travel schedule and, Man, we're really looking forward to seeing what we can do. Man. So far, it's worth mentioning. So far, we've got one hundred and thirty thousand pounds of traps and other more limited amount of other types of debris out of the water. One hundred thirty thousand pounds and well over two thousand traps, and probably uh, going on ten thousand specimens of um, of like commercially viable marine life getting released out of these ghost traps back into the fishery.
2: Bet you see a lot of octopus. You see a lot of, yes, we do. You know, that's, that's, that's one that is, is just doing nothing but benefiting from the trap because (laughs) it'll slip right in that, right between the boards, no problem and live in there and nothing else can eat it. And, uh, and it probably is uses it as a great ambush and everything. And then it can yep. slip right out of there. No problem, man. All it needs.
1: FWC is- actually put up a video probably a month or maybe two months ago um, of, a, of a GoPro that they'd mounted inside a test trap. Oh, okay. And they watched the octopus come in and eat the the lobster, I think, that was in there. Might have yeah. been a stone crab, but, you know, they watched it come in and uh, attack the catch. So, that's, and then slip right back out. Uh, yeah. You know?
2: Well, sometimes when you, you know, it could be a pinfish trap. It could be anything you you get in yeah. there and there's nothing but the octopus in there. And yeah. it, I think it it's eaten everything in there and yeah. it will be the last thing. And then it will just get right out of there. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'd like to see that video. I'm fascinated with the yeah. octopus. I don't, I don't see, we don't see that many of them, but um, they're around. And I would imagine that if yeah. you're opening all those traps, you'd see a ton of them. Uh-oh. Yeah. We had a good
1: number during this most recent event, late July. Um, and actually a couple that were bigger than any of the commercial guys had seen before they really? were coming in and saying, look at this picture I've
2: got, you know, wow. big octopus and inside the trap. So wow. I'd love to yeah. see an octopus eat a lobster. That would be yeah. that would be pretty awesome. I
1: think FWC has that video. Well, oh, I'll see sure. if I can find it for you. I'm I put sure. it on that's our 360
2: feed. That's probably one of their their number one things that they eat. I mean, that lobsters <laughs> yeah. not that fast. It's a, it's in a it's in a cave. A lot yep. looks in there and says, mm-hmm, you can't go that <laughs> way." So I'm coming in head first and <laughs> yeah. eat them. I mean, know where
1: they can go that octopus yeah. can't follow. I know. You know,
2: I know they might not. Yeah. And, and octopuses are pretty fast too. I mean, they really are. They're, yeah. they're a lot faster than you, than, than you might think. Um, yeah. They're a fascinating creature, the octopus and it's more true. eels too. I bet you get a lot of eels in there, in the traps. We didn't
1: see Well, I, 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 none were reported to me in this case, but Lord knows when we're down there um, free diving for lobster during the open season, I see a ton of them, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. Yep. I think they get in there anyway. Well, um, good luck with all this, man. It's fantastic. And, uh, and, I'd uh, love to love to support you by either doing an event or, or talking about your events or, or announcing them. So stay, stay in touch and let me know what, what all's going on there. Um, but I think what you're doing is really good and, and, um, awesome. Good for you. Thank you so
1: much, buddy. And I want to tell you, I had the nice opportunity to turn uh, some of the, the, the keys participants in our event um, onto your show. Oh, yeah? And they were, they were particularly interested in the, uh, the valve system that the two oil and gas industry guys oh, came yeah, up yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I'm referring yeah. to for yeah. the Rich water Vanek. pipes and yeah. sewage
2: pipes? Yeah. yeah Rich Vanek. Yeah. He's got a great thing going on there. And, uh, yeah. and, and again, another, another example of, you know, just one person doing something that makes a difference. It's not going to make all the difference in the world, but, when, when yep. he's doing that and you're doing your thing and Captains for Clean Waters doing their thing and, you know, it, it, yep. it all amounts to, to a, a big sea change in, in the whole, in everything. Like it, it just yeah. makes a big difference. But that is, that was a great, a, a great show, great product. And I, I hope that they, uh, I hope they put that in everywhere because it, it really seems to be working.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. And uh, I saw some parallels in their story and in my own experience with Ocean Aid 360, just because my sense of, you know, my approach to the habitat work and water quality stuff and our fisheries is just everybody in a perfect world everybody would look at their own experience and say here's what i have to offer right. how can i how can i get this into the mix you know mm-hmm. um that's what i tried to do with the grants administration work and you know um dedicating federal resources if i could possibly win them toward toward projects that i thought were really important for our watershed yeah it's what lots of other folks are doing and you know with their valve system to try to provide better quality and more timely data to municipalities when there's a, a leak or a, a break forthcoming in their water system or sewage system. I mean, that's their background and experience. And they saw that it could be really beneficial for Florida's fisheries. So I, I love that. I thought yeah. that that was really cool. Yeah. And I hope other people feel inspired to do the same thing.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too. So if yeah. you're out there and you got a good idea, go for it. Yep. That's that right. Yeah, yeah, that's you right. Could make a, you could end up making a really big difference. All right. Yep. Well, Neil, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thanks for what you're doing. It's, uh, it's making a big difference. So go support OceanAid 360 and, and Neil and what, what they're doing, do one of their events or, uh, visit their website and see how you can see how you can, um, sponsor or donate or whatever you can do to
1: volunteer yeah
2: volunteer yeah Even so better. i wanted
1: yeah. to mention to you that our keys events that we do they're funded by the grassy creek foundation mm-hmm. and 11 angling mm-hmm. um and they've been great partners to us but on the last two occasions that we've done these ghost trap rodeo events down in the keys they sent brian o'keefe <laughs> nice. the famous fishing photographer um to come and participate with us and honestly man i didn't know what to expect when i when i knew i was going to meet him for the first time but he's just the most laid-back cool guy
2: and i'll tell do you you know him yeah brian o'keefe is yeah. is fantastic and we used to spend a lot more time together when we were both working for uh scott rods and um yep. we used to do these casting competitions and have you fished with brian no i haven't Uh-oh. okay well have you ever seen him cast a fly rod No, I haven't. Okay. So I've fished with a lot of really great anglers and I've been around a lot of really great anglers when we went and would do these best of the West fly casting competitions. And I will tell Mm -hmm. you right now, Brian O'Keefe is the best fly caster there is. No way. Better than the Ray
1: Jeffs and all those guys. Telling you,
2: (laughs) telling you, he is, he is so good and he's so, his stroke is so beautiful And he is a powerful guy, you know, but he doesn't use that. He uses technique. He's not overpowering the run. He is, he is, he is incredible. He is really cool. cool. I mean, when I would watch people cast, I'm like, man, of all these guys, the Ray Jeffs, all of them, any of them, I'd like to cast more like that guy. Brian O'Keefe. Wow. And wow he is he is amazing but he's also well, an incredibly good angler and yeah. uh he he's just yep. done so many crazy things he's been all over the place and done amazing yep. things and then then he gets just drop jaw photographs that are incredible he sure does yeah, yeah he really incredible. does incredible
1: you know i uh when we were at the ghost trap rodeo event down there big Copet, just uh, as of today's recording it would have been a couple of weeks ago i I said to him, I said Brian, uh by any chance could you could you help us collect a couple of portrait shots of the the um, commercial folks that participated with us today, which is a mix of men and women in the field running tea crafts and commercial boats and everything." And the pictures that he gave, he took them with my iPhone as a favor to me. Mm -hmm. And when I got my iPhone back at the end of the evening and took a look at it, I have no idea what setting he would have used to even make (laughs) these photos, you know,
2: they're just absolutely beautiful. So, you know, he reminds me of, have you ever seen the secret life of Walter Mitty? (laughs)
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and he's course.
2: chasing after this mythical photographer that's <laughs> just globe trotting all over the world. And as soon as he yeah. gets to some place, he's like, "Oh yeah, I just put him on a plane." And he just he just yeah. took off over here, and he just took off over right. there. And then you, you know, got to get ahead of him. Yeah, it, yeah, he's you're gonna have a hard time getting ahead of Brian O'Keefe. But uh, yeah. he, he's kind of like that photographer. And then you see like the pictures, and you're like, "Oh my god, how did he do yeah. that? Even with an iPhone."
1: Like, I'm going to share some of what he sent us and he's given us permission to share them around with the fishing community um, and for reposting and such. I'll send some your way in case you want to
2: share them with yeah, your for listeners. Sure. For sure. Well, yeah. you got a good man on your team right there uh, with, with him and if nothing else, you'll be entertained and, and uh, that's right. <laughs> and you'll have some good photos, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Give him a fly rod one time and ask him to hit yeah just strip off all the line and and ask yep. him if he can hit something way out there and, and just just that watch. sounds good. Of any weight, I, by the way. He could cast a three you. weight okay. or a thirteen weight, anything For you want. Or a tuna
1: rod. Yeah. Anything
2: you yeah, want, yeah. man. Now, I don't know how, how good wild. he is with spinning tackle, but or 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 conventional <laughs> gear, but with a fly rod, the dude is yeah. legit. Seriously, let me legit. ask
1: let me ask you this. Yeah. So, real quick, I I heard a story once that lefty When he moved down to South Florida, um, I I think it might've been to take over the, the, one of the The prestigious fishing tournaments, the Met, right. That a lot of the guys in the room had no idea who he was and the way that he got their attention was by spooling the fly line off of a reel and casting the fly line with no rod, just with his hands Mm -hmm. and shot it across the room or something like that. And everybody, you could hear a pin drop. So the story goes (laughs) and the rest was history. Is that true? Have you ever heard Um, that story?
2: I'm sure that it was true. Yeah, um, Lefty had a lot of tricks, right? Yeah, like he yeah. he was, he was, uh, he was a guy that that had a lot of tricks. And when he was a younger man, he had even better tricks. Like he could shoot a, a yeah. baby aspirin. With a with a yeah, come he, on man, no man. He the lefty was the the real deal. He could shoot guns. That's wild. He could he could cast fly rods. He could cast spinning rods. He could do it all. And um and he was he was uh he was legit. So he could definitely cast a whole line with just his arm. And yep. um it wouldn't surprise me, you know, even back then, they you know the the fly lines weren't what they are today. So even of course yeah. like fifty feet with a fly rod was like big deal. Yeah. So he yeah, could, he could throw that with his arm. No problem. And, uh, yeah. but he was the real deal. I mean, Lefty was, Lefty was incredible. He was very, very talented. He was very, um, uh, uh, unique individual. He mm-hmm. was original and he also, um, he was, he was completely legit. So, uh, yeah. you know, there's, there are people that have a lot of talent and, but lefty was a good combination of of talent and a showman like he can put mm-hmm. on a good show like if i i got to see him put on his his show many 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 times from the first time i ever saw him just as a as a casual uh person coming up to you know, I'd read a couple of his books. I was going to go get him signed and he was going to do a fly casting demonstration at the local fly shop and just sure. being amazed. Like he would have people yep. stand out there and he's like, now I'm going to curve it right around you. And he'd curve the line around somebody <laughs> standing there. And he's like, now you stand over there. Now I'm going to curve it around you. And then the other way, and he could just do all these tricks. And then he'd do it with no, you know, with just his hand and he'd, he'd shoot the whole line with, with one haul and he would just leave yep. everybody there just like, Oh my God. I thought I had a cast, but I obviously don't. Um, and that guy really does. But he—he sure. he was a good—he was a good mix of of real talent and being a a showman, right? Like, he, yeah, he could yeah. put on a show, and and it was entertaining. And he, yeah, and he brought that to the fly fishing world, like because fly fishing can be pretty damn boring. And I think before he got totally. around. Before he got around, and everybody was casting, you know, just yeah. Like this. Yeah. Tended to. Two, and he ten started two. casting, you know, big strokes. <laughs> right. And he was throwing line like nobody had ever seen before, and yeah. And uh, and then he'd tell funny jokes, and he, you know, he keep the whole crowd entertained. And yeah. it was like, you took this boring thing, and you opened it up to so many more sure. people. And I think that well, was one of his I, big gifts that he had.
1: I would say that he is definitely responsible for getting me into fly rotting Mm. Um, like the, the warmth that he had toward newcomers to the sport and the sort of everyman quality that mm-hmm. he could yeah. communicate you know that this isn't beyond you come yeah. on in, you know come on into the fold i'll teach you how to do it
2: he's always um, so funny i he, think
1: it, it really jumped off the page with his writing and all of that i had memories mangroves and magic yeah. i think was the book that he put out many mm-hmm. years ago that was and i fantastic. used to flip through that thing every day
2: yeah, yeah. he would always uh I, I remember the first time i saw him he's he get somebody up there and he's like he's like have have you looked at your back cast and and the guy, the guy would turn around and look at it. He says, "Well, I don't blame you. I wouldn't look at it either if my broadcast looked like that." <laughs> oh my god, I love he, it. He would always talk about that. an underwear ripping, an underwear ripping double haul. It was unnecessary. He felt like you just needed to just do a little it, with with it. eight yeah. inches with with eight inches. You could you could cast so far, and and sure. he was like, "You're up there just ripping your underwear, doing all this stuff." Oh my so gosh. A, he was a funny dude, man. Love he was, it. He was really funny.
1: Um, yeah, I, I channeled my inner lefty uh, when I was in New York and working for the two tackle shops. I used to give fly casting lessons out on the street on mm-hmm. 23rd Avenue up there, um, uh, right in front of the Chelsea Hotel. That's where Capital Fishing Tackle was. And nice. we'd wait for the we'd wait for the cabs to stop at the red light, jump out into the middle of the block and, and send a double haul down the way, back and forth, <laughs> back and forth. You know, those were good times. That man. sounds fun. Good times. That
2: sounds fun. Yeah. Well, Neil, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good luck for it with everything. And uh, uh, keep me posted on what you're doing. I'd like to I'd like to try to help out if I can. All right. Neil, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tom. See you.